0: Good evening. This is Justin Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with the real state of the nation. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Dr. Hammond, as the title of the show alludes, uh, we're dealing with the state of the nation address. What is the purpose of that address?
1: Well, the State of the Nation address meant to be given by the Head of State, the President, at the start of a new parliamentary session. And for some reason, they only start in February. You know, The rest of us start our work in January, but uh, parliamentarians, of course, seem to have longer holidays than the rest of us. But it's meant to set out the key policy objectives of the government and what it aims to achieve in the coming years. So it's an important milestone. It's meant to um, analyze the political, social and economic landscape and uh, show what our the obstacles and the objectives and what they plan to deliver in the next year. So it's super important as a milestone politically, but also economically, and businessmen pay attention, investors pay attention. It's something that everyone in the nation is meant to pay attention to, because it's the one time that you get all branches of government combined. You get the executive branch of government represented by the president and the cabinet ministers, the judiciary represented by the country's chief justice and the judge presence. And you get the whole legislature, all the members of parliament. And there will also be representatives of provincial and municipal government represented too, plus the public and the military, of course, in display. So it's actually meant to be a time when the whole nation is paying attention and is united at the beginning of a new parliamentary year.
0: How often does one have a state of a nation address in South Africa?
1: Normally once a year, but in election year, it'll be twice. So this is only the first of two state of nation addresses in this year but of course depending on how the election goes it may not be Ramaphosa gives the next uh, state of nation address um the head of the next government or coalition government will give the next state of the nation address after the election so we will get to this year hmm.
0: what did the ANC president uh, Ramaphosa actually say in his state of the nation speech last Thursday
1: well not much uh We're all much better off after 30 years of ANC rule. The worst of load shedding power failures is behind us. And uh, to demonstrate what he's talking about, he chose a fictitious character um, who lives in the townships and used this uh, girl as an example of how the ANCs made life so much better for everybody. So he had to resort to fiction to and a blatantly fictional story. And as somebody said, you know, is this normative or is this person the exception? You know, suddenly it got everything going through as a result of ANC's racist quota policies and all the rest of it. But basically, you're all so much better off. Um, in some ways, I would say that uh, the State of the Nation address was a ridiculous, self congratulatory, actually electione- electioneering, masquerading as a State of the Nation speech. Because what it sounded like really was the head of the ANC rather than the head of the nation. Um, promoting the party. It wasn't so much to do with the nation of South Africa as much as to promote the ANC and its goals in an election year and to take a swipe at those like Zuma and the MK Breakaway Party who trying to uh, set up a challenge to the ANC. So he not only um, spoke negatively of the opposition, but he spoke negatively of people who used to be ANC supporters and even one who used to be an ANC president um, who are challenging their corrupt and incompetent rule. So, I would call it more like distraction uh, than an actual um, uh, speech. It was more more disinformation and distraction in a diatribe rather than actually a state of the nation address.
0: As this is an election year, did that have a bearing on what he actually focused on?
1: Sadly, yes. Now, he didn't have to. He could have risen above politics and sought to be the president of all South Africans, but by trying to... Uh, denigrate um, white South Africans and blame everything on apartheid. I mean, that's getting a bit old 30 years later Uh, that they've been in power for 30 years, but anything wrong in the country, some other the faults of apartheid, we didn't have power failures under apartheid, but so much apartheid's fault that we've got power failures now, even though it's this government that's done it. And uh, he even tried to blame his predecessor, Zuma, even though Zuma made him responsible to fix the power failures with Eskimo. And He acts like he's some kind of outsider, whereas he's been the insider of insiders. He was the chairman of the constitutional uh, convention that produced the present constitution. Anyway, he's been an insider from the beginning, and he is vice president for years under Zuma. So to make it out that he can blame others, and he's somehow personally not to blame for the mess around him, quite extraordinary. I would say this was basically not the launch of the parliamentary year, but the launch of the ANC's electioneering campaign, considering this is a year 2024 when we have to have another election. So, sadly, instead of a state of the nation dress, what you had was a launch of the ANC's political manifesto for their election campaign.
0: Were there significant achievements to report back on?
1: I would say no, but according to him, um, they have now mobilized um, 1 million school assistants into 26,000 schools around South Africa. Now, these school assistants are not trained teachers, but this is a way of providing employment um, to people who are not trained. They might not even be that educated, but they get a job in a school without educational training to assist the local teacher. They sit there, maybe help with crowd control, maybe cleaning or setting up the classroom or whatever it is, but the school assistant is a way of providing a million jobs right there. And uh, I don't think it's necessarily proved to improve education, um, but he also boasted that there's 26 million citizens in South Africa receiving monthly welfare grants. Now, 26 million people on social welfare, I would have thought as a failure. Um, but he somehow thinks that's something positive. You might recall that uh, the American presidential candidate who was once brought up on welfare himself, the brain surgeon in America, he once said, and he is put in charge of housing under Trump, he said, the best thing you can do with people on welfare is get them off it. And that it's it's a disgrace for a country to have millions of people on welfare. It's, it's actually a sign of failure rather than a sign of success. Welfare is appreciated when a person's in the guts and struggling, but a job would be preferable. And they've chased away the investors and the employers, and they've crippled a lot of free enterprise in the country with racial quotas. And so it just seems quite sad that you've got... Um, One of the achievements they are boasting is we've got 26 million people receiving daily welfare grants. And, uh, I mean, that's pretty sad. Uh, He did also report that 90% of the population now have access to clean water. Uh, Why not 100%, but okay, 90% is better. Um, Nine million students are given a daily free meal, which, again, um, I suppose that's something to achieve. But it would have been nicer to say we've been able to improve the quality of education. And that people don't need to be given free handout meals at school because the economy is so good, and employment is so good. But those were some of the achievements he reported back on. Um, he had a lot of promises, but um, like the previous promises, not too much in it. The government claims to have uh, moved a huge amount of our energy from coal to. Uh, clean energy or green renewable energy. More than 2,500 megawatts of solar and wind power capacity has been connected to the grid. So this is what we've been paid billions of rands from European Union to close down our coal plants. Interesting, European Union's been buying our coal at great numbers um, and uh, they've got literally amongst them thousands of coal plants, but they're paying us to close down our coal plants while they take our coal. And this seems to be a bit of a conflict of interest, but the president's all excited that we've moved a lot more into solar and wind power, which is to a large extent why we're having so many power failures because we've closed down working coal power stations just to please the EU and to take their bribe of a few billion uh, euro. And uh, so those were all positives that the president reported back on. I wouldn't have thought any of that's of great substance, but that's what they focused on. What
0: reasons um, did the president give for not having achieved what had been promised previously?
1: Uh, he had his list of things to blame, aside from apartheid, which is always convenient. Um, the COVID pandemic, although I would have said, I don't think the COVID pandemic did anything to damage our economy. It's the government's lockdown lunacy regulations that crippled the economy and closed down jobs and destroyed much of the economy. So when I speak about the recovery needed... Uh, from the COVID pandemic, that's not very honest. It's a bit ingenious. It's not the COVID pandemic that caused the problems. It was the government's mismanaging of the crisis with their lockdown lunacy, which is often quite insane. I mean, there were so many things that just didn't make sense that they wouldn't allow. And, you know, you couldn't walk on a beach and you couldn't walk in a forest and you couldn't uh, uh, go to the parks. And why did they, um, what possible medical reason was there for that? And the fact that shops could sell food um, and bottle stores could be open, but you couldn't buy a do-it-yourself um, handyman things. So that part of the shop would be fenced off. Now, you've got the time to do a do-it-yourself fix-it handyman things at home, but no, you're not allowed to buy those uh, things, even though that's the most logical thing to do during a lockdown. So there were so many insane things that they did. And, uh, you know, the fact that, Casinos could be open, abortion clinics could be open, but churches couldn't be open. I mean, that's sort of insanity. But instead of honestly facing the fact that government's mismanaging of this lockdown lunacy caused a lot of the problems, he blames the pandemic. Then he blames load shedding uh, for a lot of it. But of course, who's responsible for the load shedding? We never had load shedding or power failures under apartheid, and yet they somehow to blame. He then blames state capture corruption, which I thought was intriguing, because isn't that his government? He acts like he's some outsider, but he is the consummate insider. Roma Posa is not the outsider who's a victim of state capture. His entire government's the state capture characters. If he would get rid of the state capture people, he wouldn't have a cabinet. And uh, he wouldn't have much of a party left either if he prosecuted all the corruption. And then he blames petrol costs. Now, that's a bit insane because most of the cost of petrol is actually government taxes. If you go to Botswana today and we do that, um, we... Make sure we run out of fuel just before cross, just after running across the border into Botswana, because even though Botswana is a landlocked country, Botswana sells petrol cheaper than South Africa, and that's because even though they get the petrol from us, most of our petrol cost are tax. So, you know, for. Ramaphosa, to say petrol costs are what's uh, preventing the government from achieving much of what they wanted, Um, that's really pathetic. All he has to do is cut uh, the tax on the petrol costs and, hey, presto, cost of fuel go down to less than half of what it is now. Uh, So uh, I thought his excuses were uh, very dishonest and you'd have to be fairly brain-dead, disengaged, and having a brain neutral to have missed the fact that he and his ANC government are to blame for almost every excuse that he tried to bring up.
0: Hmm. And what promises did uh, President Ramaphosa make for the future?
1: Well, I think one of the more interesting ones is National Health Service. We're going to have um, free, equal health care for everybody. Everybody in the country is going to get free health care. We're going to have a national health service that's going to meet all the needs. It sounds like Obamacare. Now, I think one needs to mention here that Britain and Canada have had national health service of the kind that Ramaphosa is promising for years. And every year... Millions of Canadians go across the border into the United States to pay for their health care in the United States that they can get free in Canada. Now, what does that tell you? And in Britain, the National Health Service is so bad that when my wife ended up in hospital here in Cape Town, she had a National Health Care Service nursing sister from Britain in a bed next to her. And, of course, the question asked was, why have you flown to South Africa to buy what you can get free in Britain? She said, because I'd be dead by the time I got to the head of the queue in Britain for the healthcare. So it's better to fly to Cape Town and buy it here than get it free through National Healthcare Service in Britain because of the bureaucracy and red tape. And bear in mind, she's a nursing sister, so she's at the head of the queue. Um, So National Healthcare Service has failed in Canada. It's failed in Britain, but the ANC is going to make it succeed in South Africa. What, the rest of the world has failed to achieve. The ANC will succeed in doing here. So they said, so that's one of the great promises. Uh, National health care is coming to South Africa, according to Ramaphosa. The other thing is no more load shedding. He said load shedding is a thing of the past. The worst is behind us. Well, I noticed, we went to stage six since the speech. He promised lots of green energy and so on. So uh, that's interesting. Those are some of the promises for the future. But then I remember in previous years, he's spoken about bullet trains and smart cities and all of that sort of thing and full green energy as well and that's never happened so i don't know uh, how we can take any promises by this president seriously if he was like pinocchio his nose would be a few kilometers long
0: are these goals uh, realistic and achievable
1: in a word no um are they not if if Canada and Britain can't make national health care work, then what makes us think socialised healthcare is going to work? The ANC's made things that do work, like South African Airways and ESCOM and the Cyber Postal Service fail. So what makes us think they can make something work here that fails elsewhere? Mm. It's more likely that they'll make fail what works in other places. So no, I, I don't think any of these goals of the present are actually achievable or realistic.
0: What practical solutions do you think um, the president should have offered During his State of the Nation address?
1: Well, I think one thing would be fuel costs are too high. We're going to cut the government taxes from it. So that'll cut fuel costs in half, more than half. So I think that would have been excellent. Another thing is we're going to fire all corrupt politicians, starting with my whole cabinet um, and myself, um, prosecute all the corruption. I mean, that would be excellent. And then I think privatise Eskom privatise the post office, privatise South Africa Airways. They're failing as state-operated enterprises. So if he'd offered uh, decentralisation and free enterprise and privatisation, that would have been a way forward. Um, Just imagine also, uh, what about all cabinet ministers by law must be required to use state hospitals. All cabinet ministers, members of parliament, must send their children to state schools. Because right now I can tell you they're using the private schools and the private hospitals. So what about if... The members of parliament and cabinet ministers receive the same benefit, financial and kickbacks and benefits as teachers, policemen, nurses, firemen and other civil servants. I mean, how about that? They talk about we need equality in health care. Well, how about equality in salaries when it comes to civil servants? And I would venture to say that nurses, doctors, policemen, firemen work much harder than the average member of parliament and cabinet minister and city councillor. So how about that? Another thing I'd suggest is how about stopping chasing away investors and employers? Stop BBBEE racial quotas and race discrimination. Stop interfering in sports. Stop the war against farmers. Stop the war against food. Stop the war against fuel. Stop the war against freedom. Uh, start allowing free enterprise support our farmers. Subsidize the farmers, in fact, rather than penalizing them. And bring back the employer, the employers and the investors. I think that will help everyone. How about creating some Tax havens, you know, let's make Cape Town a tax haven. That'll deal with unemployment. There's many things governments can do to improve the economy. The main thing is get out of the way. If they would stop nationalizing, stop interfering, stop engineering things, if they would get out of the way and let free enterprise initiative and incentive run the country, you'll find better education, better healthcare, uh, better businesses. And we can prove this because when people have a choice, they choose to be free. When people have a choice, where do you go? Do you go to the government hospital or to the private hospital? If you've got a choice, if money is no object, you choose the private hospital. Hmm. If I'm sick anywhere in Africa, I'm not going to go to a state hospital. I'm going to go to the local mission hospital, the private hospital, always. And, uh, I mean, if I'm sick up in Sudan, I'll go to the Samaritan's Purse Hospital. I'm not going to go to the uh, one run by the state in Nairobi or something like that. And anyone sensible doesn't send their child to government school They use the private Christian schools or homeschooling. So if, if people know in their private life, this is what's better, what makes us think that the government can spend our money better than we can? What makes us think the government can make better choices than we would for our own children? Who cares about your children the most, you or the government? And so if a government minister won't send his child to the state school or send his wife to the government hospital, then why should I be forced to do so? And so I think there's a lot of things that the president could have done which would have made people take him more seriously. And the first thing is, how about some real law and order? How about um, bring back execution for murderers and restitution for property crimes? If we had a real serious um, dealing with crime, um, just think of some things like repeat offenders must be made to complete the sentence of their uh, of their suspend sentence before they begin their second sentence how about no BL bail available for a repeat offender how about every violent criminal no matter what age um, will be deemed irresponsible so if you commit an adult crime you pay the adult fine uh, if you um, you if you say that you were drunk or under diminished capacity because if you're under the influence of drugs charge them with being drunk and disorderly and under drugs as well why should being drunk or under drugs relieve you of the full penalty of the law for murder and so on. So, again, adult crimes, adult consequences. And biblical principle of execution for first-degree murder, rape, kidnapping, restitution for theft or damage to property. That would be nice if political parties like the EFF who riot, loot, um, storm shops, break, destroy things, uh, smash windows, uh, crash cars, burn things out. Uh, How about that political party be forced to pay for all the damage they've done um, and put up um, uh, guarantees that they won't cause damage by having to put up the amount they had to pay for the last damaged march before they're allowed to do another protest? I mean, things like this get people to respect lives and respect property again, respect the law. Even though he said they're going to add another 20,000 additional officers to the police force, that's not as good as having criminals actually prosecuted. And when you've got the criminals running the country and in Parliament, that doesn't help. Uh, how about that we will not have anyone on the ANC's list for being voted for who are criminals. We're not? We're not going to put rapists, murderers, thieves and others, people guilty of corruption on our um, list to be elected to Parliament. Because I've heard from some that we have the biggest collection of criminals and uh, all of that in our Parliament, more than the average population. So... Why is it that the rest of us must obey the law and the people in parliament don't need to? So it would be nice if the president actually gave some real solutions, like we are cutting taxes, we are privatizing ESCOM, we're privatizing the post office, privatizing South African Airways. We're not going to tolerate any corrupt politicians. I'm going to fire everyone from my government who is involved in state capture. That might make us take them a little bit more seriously. Hmm.
0: Um, Dr. Hammond, is there any metric by which we can judge how the State of the Nation address was received by his target audience, if it was sort of an electioneering, it was obviously targeted ANC supporters in the township, so do we know how this was received by them?
1: Well, I've seen a very negative from Abigail Moyo, who's a spokesperson of the trade union UASA, and said, you know, crime is rampant people, most people live in fear, um, and... You know, while some grants for unemployed as fine, jobs would be far more appreciated. And uh, the state of the union addressed by um, Rampoz is far removed from reality. We wonder where he lives. Uh, for too many South Africans to ask, how many more promises must they listen to before some actual work and results re- come out of it? So there's a whole range of negative reactions that I've read from people, um, not just other political parties, but even trade unions saying, our unemployment rate is the highest ever. And yes, uh, Ramposa could boast that we have double amounts of people employed today as we had in 1994, but the population has more than doubled. And in fact, we have more unemployed today than we've ever had. So the ANC has been power 30 years. We've got more than 30 million unemployed. In 94, when Mandela uh, gave the first state of nation address, we had over 2 million people unemployed. Today, we've got over 32 million unemployed. So we could say for every year the ANC's been in power, they've added another million to the unemployed ranks. And here's something else that's significant. In 1994, when Mandela became president, we had 70,000 commercial farmers, mostly white. They fed 100 million people. Now, that's a great achievement. Our population was under 28 million, but our farmers were feeding... Four times more than the population of South Africa. Spectacular achievement. So South Africans were feeding people in the Congo and Zambia and Mozambique and Malawi and all over. A tremendous achievement. Today we have only 30,000 commercial farmers and they're feeding 40 million people. Now that's still a great achievement, 40 million people, but our population is 62 million now. So... That's not good enough. It now means we've got to import food. And then what about those millions who used to be fed from South African food that now can't be exported because we've gone from 70,000 farmers down to 30,000 commercial farmers. So the war against farmers, the terrorism against farmers, the mass murder and torture of farmers and their family members, that's been tolerated and encouraged by the government and by government leaders singing, bring me my machine gun and kill the whites, kill the poor, kill the farmers and so on. Uh, And not to mention the economic... Campaigns against the farmers and against diesel fuel and all the rest of it that the farmers use. This has led to a situation where we have to import food, and this is food used to be a lot cheaper in South Africa. The cost of food has gone up. Bread, by the way, used to be tax exempt, but the ANC's brought in tax for everything. Even Bibles and bread are taxed, which didn't used to be taxed, by the way. So there's a lot of things they could do to make things better, um, mainly in terms of cutting down taxes and stop fighting the farmers. So, yes, the state of the nation is pretty bad. We could also say we never had a power failure before 2015. It was 2015, I remember the 11th of November 2015, we had the first power failure in Cape Town ever, and it was an unexpected general power failure. And after that, the term load shedding became common. But then we had a time after President Zuma made Ramaphosa in charge of fixing Eskom. Never, 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 never again will we ever have many more load shedding. And uh, how many times we heard that promise? So they can't even keep the lights on. To have a government telling us that they are a success and we should vote for them again when they can't even keep the lights on and the post office is totally destroyed. The post office cannot be trusted to anything. South African Airways, which used to be one of the best airlines in the world, is one of the worst and it hasn't flown in how long. So. Yes, if we could just get some more privatisation. There's no way you can trust the government to run ESCOM, the post office, SA. I wouldn't trust them to run a small municipality. Uh, A BBC economics expert said the ANC doesn't have enough intelligence in it to run a small municipality. And I think that's a, a good observation. If you cannot run a village, you can't be trusted to run a town. If you can't run a town, you can't be trusted to run a city. If you can't run a city, you can't be trusted to run a province. If you can't run a province, you cannot run the country. And people who can't run the country cannot be trusted with running the schools, uh, the electricity and everything else connected with the economy. And uh, you just think how important the post office was for all of us. When last did we use the post office? I used to send out Vast amounts of letters, newsletters, magazines, books. We had whole businesses built on mail order, which you can't do with the post office failing. And why has it failed? Uh, Broad-based black economic empowerment, BBBEE, affirmative action, race quotas, cadre deployment, corruption, state capture. They've destroyed what were once working viable economies. So um, there's a few jokes relating state capture. What's the difference between South Africa and the ANC and the Titanic? Mm. When the Titanic went down, all the lights were on. <laughs> What's the difference between the Mafia and the ANC? Nope. The Mafia turns a profit. What's the difference between organized crime and the ANC? Organized crime is organized. <laughs> so when I write about the government, I use, uh, I use the word cancer. You see, you know what a cancer is? A cancer is a cell that doesn't help the health of the body. It breaks down the health of the body. So have you noticed the middle letters of cancers? A and C. So when I write about the government, I put a small c, capital A and C, small E-R, cancer. You speak about the cancer government. I've been doing this for years, and many people have picked up on it. When you refer to the cancer everyone knows you're referring to the ANC, because there are cancer, and you also think of politics, poly, many ticks, blood-sucking parasites. The definition of politics, many blood-sucking parasites. And so the government in this country is really parasitical. They are like ticks. They don't produce anything good. They just produce infection and disease. Uh, they suck the blood out of you. And unlike the uh, ticks you get in nature, they don't drop off when they've got enough blood. They stay on. They keep leeching off you. And they don't see the light till they feel heat. Just like you've got to burn a leech off. You've got to get... Now, we're in an election year. This is the time for us to actually get serious. We've got to fight against corruption because corruption steals from everyone. One ANC president once said, corruption doesn't hurt anyone. Well, in fact, corruption hurts everybody. So this is a good time in an election year to get people to think again, why should you continue to support a government that steals from us all, that can't even keep the lights on, that's breaking down basic things? That is, in fact, 90% of schools by the Ministry of Education's own statistics, 90% of schools are dysfunctional. Hmm. And we know this. I mean, there's a whole... Provinces where the school textbooks didn't arrive, but I don't know if that's so bad, because many of the school textbooks are actually terrible. So in many cases, maybe the textbooks arriving would have been worse than them not having the textbooks. But what a terrible situation when uh, you know that you can do a good achievement just by keeping your children out of government school, um, even if you taught them nothing, they'd still be better off than they oh, are, getting all this um, like comprehensive sexuality education, CSE in the schools, which is basically teaching kids to be perverts. It's the one thing you can be sure they're going to do their homework on, uh, but uh, the state schools are now more like child abuse.
0: <clears throat> um, Dr Hammond, the State of the Nation Address was presumably delivered in the City Hall of Cape Town.
1: It was, because they haven't in two years started to even begin repairing Parliament, which got burned down on the 2nd of January 2022. Interesting, the burning down of Parliament, which was obviously deliberate arson, and there were many members of Parliament cheering at the time and posting on social media, this is wonderful, take more fuel, make it burn, and let's move uh, to Midrand and we don't need to um, continue to stay in Cape Town, we hate Cape Town, things like that. So uh, there was a whole lot of um, enthusiasm from members of Parliament who liked the idea of the burning of Parliament. Interesting, the burning of Parliament didn't start on the ground floor, it started on the top floor in the offices of the ANC, um, where a whole lot of them had just accidentally felt that we can left their computers behind, which had all the evidence that was needed for the Zondo Commission state capture inquiries. And so, uh, you know, the dog ate my homework, the uh, the fire consumed the evidence that you need, um, that sort of thing. Now, it just so happened on that 2nd of, of January, 2022, um, there were no parliamentary uh, security um, inside Parliament. Parliament was bereft of security because it was a long weekend and they didn't want to pay overtime. So a multi-billion rand building was left unprotected. There were police at the gates, but there was no parliamentary security within the building. And interestingly, uh, the alarms failed. The alarms had been turned off. The smoke detectors were been turned off and the irrigation system, the sprinkler system failed. It had been auto-switched off. And nobody in Cape Town noticed this, somebody was climbing Table Mountain and saw smoke coming from the roof of Parliament, phoned the fire brigade uh, in Rowland Street and said, Parliament's on fire. And they said, we haven't had any call from Parliament and we're on the system because they've got an alarm system. And uh, when the fire brigade turned up at the gates, the police didn't want to let them in at first and they said, look behind you, Parliament's on fire. And uh, the police at the gates had noticed that the Parliament was on fire a mountain climber noticed and the fire brigade was there before the parliament had even asked them to come there so worse than that when the fire brigade went around they found that the fire doors you know every big building's got to have fire doors because if every door's open a fire can sweep through even a big building in 20 minutes and it's irretrievably lost and that's why hospitals and hotels and other big buildings have fire doors which are they, they close. They've got a spring to make sure the door slams shut and that helps slow down a fire. Every door slows down a fire at least 20 minutes at least. So they found all these fire doors had been propped open with a metal latch. So there's a metal latch on one side of the hole in the other and so the metal latch means that smoke and fire can go through this door. So all the fire doors were latched open by a permanent fixture of a metal latch um, which I suppose improves airflow and improves fires but it doesn't improve security. So who has the power to cancel the parliamentary security service uh, for the weekend? Who has the power to close down the sprinkler system, the smoke detectors and the fire uh, alarm system? And by the way, the the whole fire alarm system hadn't been uh, serviced in years, which is also quite disturbing considering the building's worth several billion rand. Now, the roof's still not fixed. And when I climbed the mountain most recently, I looked down, there's still no canopy over the roof. So I'm told there are tens of thousands of litres of water from the rains of two winters in the basement of Parliament. A library wrecked so many uh, beautiful, irreplaceable oil paintings and canvas wrecked, so much furnishing wrecked. They're saying it's going to cost billions of rands to fix Parliament. It would have taken, you know, literally just a couple hundred rands to get some canvas over the roof. and. Um, immediately after the fire. But no, they, they couldn't do that. If parliament was run by a private operation, it would have been fixed a year and a half ago. But two years later, the state's so incompetent, they can't even fix their own parliament. They're having to meet in our town hall. Well, praise God, we've got a town hall that's not run by the government. Otherwise, it probably wouldn't be there either. Uh, that would probably also be wrecked. So people who can't even fix their own building, which I didn't have to build, they just had to maintain. Um, how can you trust them with the whole country? The country like the Parliament Building. It's gone up in flames and they can't repair it. They're talking about how many hundreds of millions they're wanting to put into road extensions, but they can't fix the potholes and roads we've got. So I think this is typical of the government. They can't provide us with the electricity we want, but they are following some green energy, renewable wind turbine and solar panel pipe dream. Uh, they're closing down coal plants while we're having power failures. Uh, they are taking bribes from governments overseas while selling our coal reserves to them. Uh, They are closing down the post office, refusing to privatise it because they reckon that would be a betrayal of the workers. So the 26,000 people who were employed by the post office have lost their jobs. But some in the name of protecting the jobs of workers. They're willing to let the whole company go to pot because of BBBEE affirmative action, cadre deployment, state capture corruption. And the end result still is be grateful And uh, vote for us again. Uh, You can trust us.
0: On a more positive note, what can concerned citizens actually do practically to improve the situation in the country, Dr. Hammond?
1: My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. I think the first thing is to be informed. We must be informed, get informed, and you're not going to get informed by listening to SATV. SATV is the voice of the ANC. So, there's no point listening to state-run enterprise, not here, not in any country in the world. It's not just the ANC. I mean, I wouldn't trust the BBC either, the biased Broadcasting Corporation, or the Clinton News Network in America, or Slime Magazine, Newspeak, Useless News and World Report. It's it's not about just the ANC. You cannot trust governments, uh, like the New Zealand government says, you don't need to worry about what anyone's saying, just listen to the government. If it doesn't have uh, NZ.gov, uh, don't listen to it. We are the arbitrators of truth. Now, Governments like the Australians, Canadi- Canadians, New Zealand, you can't trust any government with running the media. Canada's now got a basically state-controlled media. And it's terrible. It's absolutely hideous. So um, I'm not just being against ANC. I'm against all governments trying to control the media. You cannot trust state media. Governments lie. Politicians lie. You can always tell when a politician's lying. His lips move. And when he dies, he lies still. So, yeah, I think... Um, first thing is be informed my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge second thing is uh, to uh, be interceding we need to pray and then we need to be involved be in informed be interceding be involved there's always something we can do like like in the book of nehemiah how do we rebuild the walls when everything's lying in ruins so uh, you can contact groups like christian action we will give you um, put you on a mailing list check out our website Check out reliable sorts of information where you can get good, positive information. There are some positive Christian magazines in the country like Joy Magazine, Joach, Tijdschrift, Griff, uh, Devoted. Um, find them online and support them. Check out our websites. We've also got Henry Morton Stanley School of Christian Journalism or HMS uh, Journalism. Uh, you'll find a lot of alternative information then on our Frontline FrontlineMissionSA.org website. Uh, if you will get informed that reliable groups around the world that you can get better information from. And I would say, uh, make sure you are listening to the alternative media because state-controlled media is definitely unreliable and uh, just disinformation and distraction.
0: And Dr. Hammond, where can listeners learn more about biblical principles for government and practical solutions for the challenges that confront us?
1: Yes, uh, I published a book, Biblical um, principles for Africa principles for Africa is also available in French and Afrikaans been super popular we've had governments such as Malawi and Zambia buying hundreds of copies and distributing it to members of parliament and people using it as a as real textbook it's endorsed by uh, presidents of countries including the president of Zambia and the president of Malawi and the um, heads of political parties, even our country have endorsed it. Uh, So Biblical Principles for Africa is something I recommend. We also produced Renaissance or Reformation in South Africa, which was in response to Taubembeki's African Renaissance. That's got a lot of positive practical solutions for the future. South African history, uh, sketches from South African history book is also available in English and Afrikaans, which helps us understand our history better. History is the first battlefield. Uh, We've got an southafricanvotersguide.org.za website getting up and running again. Our main savotersguide.org website, which used to have a million visitors on an election year, uh, has now been hacked and destroyed, obviously not by accident, but we have set it up again another one, savotersguide.org.za. That'll be up and running uh, before the end of the day, and we recommend people to go on there to see where the political parties stand, on a different key issues and key questions to ask of your political party like where do they stand on acknowledging Almighty God as the ultimate authority in the country in the constitution are they for abortion or are they against abortion how have they voted are they for free enterprise or are they for state socialist control do they want the parents to control education or do they want the state to control education do they support the LGBTQ transgender agenda or do they uh, support the family are they pro-family are they pro-life are they um, uh, pro-freedom uh, where do they stand on the different issues of the day and so we recommend that you look at the today and check out those which we've got in different languages as well um, you'll also see the Cape of Good Hope In in the Cape we've got Cape of Good Hope Um, facebook page and website where we are trying to give the case for secession and self-determination for uh, decentralization for uh, privatization for free enterprise which is really the wave of the future it's a way of freedom and prosperity and progress so we hope and pray that more people will learn the case for secession the case for self-determination and decentralization decentralization as what we saw in latvia lithuania estonia break away from the soviet union Uh, South Sudan breaking away from Sudan. Uh, These are, we hope, uh, the ways of the future. Namibia broke away from South Africa in 1990, and they're actually doing better than we are right now. So we think the Cape is going to do a lot better if it's an independent Cape of good hope, and our country needs hope. So, yes, I would strongly recommend um, visit our christianaction.org.saday website, uh, visit the savotersguide.org.saday website, um, and our different Facebook pages we've set up You'll find um, Cape of Good Hope and Cape Independence, uh, Cape Republic and other Facebook pages well worth visiting. You can also email me personally, peter at frontline.org.za. Hmm.
0: Thank you very much for putting the State of the Nation address into its proper perspective in an informative and entertaining way. Dr. Hammond, in closing, we would like to uh, consider 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people... Who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.